welcome, welcome, welcome to Chutzpah. I am so happy to be here. We are here in the studio. The twinkle lights are on. There's no disco party lights yet. That might happen later. We've got our waters. There's a blanket handy. We are all cozy, ready to record today. But enough about me. I hope that you're happy wherever you are. And if you're not, don't look now. But I installed a new three-way direction sign in front of your window. You know, like the ones from the old Wild West movies with all the wooden arrows pointing in every direction. It looks like that. This way, you always know where to go if you want to have an adventure or you want to take a rest or if you want to arrive at the best food you've ever had. So enjoy! And I'll meet you at the dining destination later. All right, enough of that nonsense. Put those markers down, folks. My guest is from Southern Indiana. She loves mentoring college students and empowering them to their full self-sufficiency. She has flown airplanes, backpacked through Europe and Israel, and worked in Japan teaching English to students from 5 to 65. She is ridiculously curious, full of wild, crazy ideas, loves brainstorming with others, and throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. If she wasn't a librarian, she would probably be a Jewish and interreligious comic book publisher. She identifies as a Gaia Jubu and loves talking about religion with open-minded others. Please welcome the most chutzpahrific librarian you may ever meet, the lovely Melanie Hughes. No, Yay! Thank you, Bridget. Yeah, of <laughs> course. Is there anything you want to add to that? Oh, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> too much. That's how I feel most of my life is I'm like, did I overwhelm them? Is that just too much? Did, oh, I, no. did I, like, say so much? Not here at chutzpah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank God I'm at home. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> Well, our first question as we get started is what gives you confidence? That's a great question. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think experience gives me confidence. I think having strong grounded faith gives me confidence. Um, I think not being afraid of making mistakes gives me a lot of confidence. I've researched growth mindset, uh, Carol Dweck's theory, Dr. Carol Dweck's theory. And I think that I'm not afraid to admit ignorance. I'm not afraid to ask a lot of questions. And I'm not afraid to appear foolish. Um, I guess some people call that humility. I some people call me nosy. Instead, (laughs) I call myself curious. Yes, Mm -hmm. I like curious personally. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) That's fantastic. I think that is something that I'm constantly trying to learn as well, to just kind of take yourself a little less seriously. Life gets a lot easier that way, and you learn so much more. You just can't be afraid to fall on your face a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to do it and risk it. And, you know, I've just, as I've gotten older, I realize the more mistakes I make, like, that I just, like, welcome the mistake because then Mm -hmm. I I learned something about myself. So, you know, for example, like (laughs) not looking at the email from you to send you things back (laughs) to say I was coming or not double checking the time this morning to see what time I needed to leave to come see you. And, but that's all part of, 
you know, my process of figuring out how my brain works. And so hopefully, God willing. And you still got here. I'll readjust. (laughs) I did get here. My little, this magical little computer that I carry in my pocket now tells me how to get places. I mean, I love atlases. I love maps, probably Mm -hmm. from being a pilot when I was young and and spending many hours riding in the car from New Albany to Birmingham to visit my grandparents. I would just read the road atlas for fun. (laughs) <laughs> That's what we did back in the 70s and 80s. Um, one little follow-up question with that. Is there anything that you practice on a daily basis to help you, like, hone in on your confidence and build that every day? You know, some people kind of have a mantra when they look in the mirror or mm-hmm. um, sometimes it'll be prayer. Do you do anything like that? I do. Is it consistent? That's the question. Mm. Every day. Um, I do have a prayer, like ritual i've started trying to wake myself on the on my right foot <laughs> so i have been listening to um a version of moda ani and singing mm-hmm. along in the morning hi uh just wanted to do a couple of sides in this episode so that we all know um what we're talking about here there's a couple references to some really cool spiritual concepts so um one of those that you just heard was reference to the moda ani prayer which is a jewish prayer that we say in the mornings as we wake up before we get out of bed um it's a prayer that basically is thanking god for returning our souls to us and granting us another day to live out here on this earth so it's just a thank you prayer uh to start the day off yeah and getting myself in a I kind of I do that too. Because <laughs> otherwise, my brain will rat, wants to ratchet up to high speed, and sometimes it wants mm. to ratchet up on a negative side. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to like create a little bit of structure so that I have a regular rhythm to wake up positively. And um, yeah, and then there's other parts of of prayer that are important for me. Um, I do some. 12-step fellowships kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. so part of that is like, I, they, we call it the third step prayers, like turning over my will in my life to God, to the divine. I call my God, Ima Abba Elohim. So I turn over my will in my life to Ima Abba Elohim. Um, I ask for direction. I ask for an intuitive insight. Um, I I visualize I'm a pretty visual person and an artist like and a poet like I visualize like I have this gold cord wrapped around my heart and my gut mm-hmm. and my womb and mm-hmm. maybe I'm grounded with it and then it goes out of my head and it's like please like just jerk the string <laughs> jerk the kite string so I intuitively know what I'm supposed to do don't let mm-hmm. me go in the wrong direction um and then I was telling a friend about this and she's like that sounds like Kavanah and mitzvah. And I'm like, yeah. So I turn over my will in my life, my thoughts and my actions, my kavanah and my mitzvot to Imam. So kavanah is a Hebrew word that basically means intention. And mitzvot or mitzvah are good deeds. They're like commandments, another Hebrew word. Ab Elohim, and I ask for direction. And I sometimes Sometimes do that down on my knees, facing east, just to, like, be really get some humility, like, and, like, put my hands over my heart and just be, like, as low as I can go because humility helps me be more courageous. Because I think if I can, if you're too confident 
sometimes, like if you're too full of yourself, then sometimes you're not willing to take risks. You might have mm-hmm. a fixed mindset. And so um, I've just, if you take yourself as you are. Well, eh. and so speaking of taking yourself as you are, your identification as a Gaia loving Jew boo, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you talk more about that identification and how that maybe influences, like, the kind of prayer and, like, the action that you take? Yeah. I mean, I think, like, the Gaia part, so Takun Olam and repairing the world, like, from from my actions in service uh, as a librarian or whatever else I'm doing in service, <laughs> I, um, really caring about the environment as far as sustainability is concerned, faculty sponsor for our Grenadiers. That's the oh. I use that Indiana University Southeast Grenadiers, so our sustainability club, and I've been been involved in other um, sustainability actions and research. So that part is the Gaia part. Um, Hello again. So Gaia, um, who you've heard Melanie talking about, is basically a personification is like mother earth so just if you're confused about what gaia means think of it as mother earth and she talks about service in terms of how much you know mother earth contributes to our lives and gives to us and we want to return that which is why she practices sustainability and is very environmentally conscious uh so if you're confused about gaia just think of it as mother earth Um, i also picked that up from Rebbe Zolman Schechter Shalomi, who was the f- a blessed memory, who was the founder of the Jewish Renewal Movement. He passed in 2014, and he identified as a Gaia Jew. And so that part's the Gaia part. The Jew part, I've not always been Jewish all my life, but uh, that I identify as a very open-minded, conservative, renewal Jew and then the boo part is I'm married to a Buddhist. Um, probably we got married in 2007. My husband is Thai Theravada Buddhist. And in 2009, I was very sick and I, um, it was winter break and he actually had some Buddha comics. I love comics. <laughs> and so I, I was sick and I was reading these comics and, you know, we had a, I definitely had an understanding of Buddhism before that, but it just was like, yeah, this is part of me too. Mm-hmm. And I've gone on meditation retreats with Buddhists. I'm friends with Vietnamese Buddhists here in town. Saturday, I was at the new temple for our friend, Dr. Tikong Dot, who's the abbot of a Vietnamese monast- Buddhist monastery here in town. And we were visiting his temple my colleague and i had to talk about starting uh an archive for him to record his history he started in southern indiana and we and now he has this beautiful new temple on third street south third street in louisville and you know that's maybe kind of chutzpahrific because what i wanted to do was to like make sure that his history of his community gets mm-hmm. recorded and represented in archives that's important to me yeah. Well, I think that connects really well mm-hmm. with the next question of what was the time that you showed chutzpah. And I know we had talked before, um, you really want to be a publisher, right? And like have mm-hmm. your own publishing company, which connects very well to wanting to preserve mm-hmm. people's stories. Yeah. Um, so can you tell me more about that story? Sure. Um, so I 
love books. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a librarian, and oftentimes, like I've told people, I think I ended up on the wrong side of the books. Um, when I was young, I'm trying to think like the first time I made books. Certainly, like we would staple them together in elementary mm-hmm. school, and I yeah. love doing that. In sixth grade, I was at Mount Tabor Elementary, which is in New Albany, and we were doing the Young Authors Contest, and I wrote a book and hand-wrote it, and my teacher taught us how to do this Japanese binding of the book, and then I covered it in calico fabric and all this, and and I won to be the representative from my elementary school, and I got to go to the this big Young Authors Reception reception in louisville and you know probably got my participation medal in the (laughs) 80s and um and they it just uh i think that planted a seed that i liked making books maybe even more so than writing books a lot of people aspire to be a writer but i um Loved books. I thought when I finished my undergrad in English Lit and Jewish Studies that I was going to go get a master's in children's literature and maybe publish children's books. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up being a school librarian and later down the road. And then the most chutzpahrific thing that I've done lately to move me forward towards this goal um, would be that I really... I really admire Jewish Light's publishing company that started in 1990. And so the most chutzpahrific thing that I did was I actually, like, tracked down <laughs> the founder <laughs> of Jewish Lights, who is Stuart Matlins, who founded it in 1990 and published over 700 books. And then in 2016, he sold it to Turner Publishing in Nashville. And in December, after many months of thinking that I was going to talk with him, I had wrote him a note. Mm -hmm. It was like a fangirl note. (laughs) You know you're a nerd and you're in the right field when you're like, you're asking people what book they're reading. And then my follow-up question, and who published that? Right. Like, you know, some people look at shoes. Some people look at Mm -hmm. someone's purse. I want to know who the publisher is of their book. Then you know you're in a really niche kind of place. (laughs) So I wrote... Uh, Mr. Matlin's uh, little love note and said, I love your publishing company. I'm disappointed that, you know, Turner isn't making as much of the brand as I would have liked the past few years. And uh, would you mentor me? Basically, I'd like to I'd like to start a Jewish spirituality publishing company. And here's my email and here's my number. And he called me and we had a short conversation Or he called me and he left me a message. And then I called him back and we had a short conversation and he was busy or something. And I thought he was going to call me back and then he didn't call me back. And then I lost my chutzpah. (laughs) And so I, you know, I talked to two of my friends. One of my friends, she's an academic publisher. And my other friend is someone I did my MBA with and she's in graphic designer and brand management and all that. And I talked to each of them separately. And my friend was like, the publishing friend, that never happened. You've got to call them back. And then I talked to my other friend and she's like, 
yes, you have to call him back. That <laughs> never happens. You've got to call him back. And so I wanted to call him back. And then I, you know, pandemic, I, April, my vaccines got all in place. And then I went back to work in May of 2021, back to work in my library. Mm -hmm. And then life got busy and I still the chutzpah wasn't driving me so much as it was when I was at home in April and thought I had all this space and time that I could start a publishing company when <laughs> the rubber met the road and I went back. And and then uh, so finally in December, I got chutzpah again and I called him and we had a half an hour conversation about publishing and it was good. And he said I could call him back if I had more questions. So that was fantastic. Kind of chutzpahrific. So I guess I would encourage people if there's someone you admire, why the hell not? Like, mm -hmm. look up their address. That's what I did. If you need help, <laughs> you can find me at IU Southeast. And I can help you look up the address. And I actually mailed him a handwritten card because I thought that would get someone's attention in a different way than just mm -hmm. an email. And I also thought it would come from the heart. Yeah. I also drew my little, I drew all this little angel doodle oftentimes <laughs> in the back of my correspondence. and. Mm -hmm. I think she had a little heart that said shalom or something oh, like that. It cannot get more personal than that. Then. <laughs> I was just hoping the little angel would like inspire. I don't know. It did. Anyway. It sounds anyway, like it worked. It worked. Yeah. It worked. It worked. So you never know. Throw some spaghetti at the wall. See mm -hmm. what sticks. That's stuck. You never know. So throughout that whole experience, what are some of the main things that you learned from it? I mean, obviously, we know, like, take the risk, like, mm -hmm. go for it. Um, were there any other facets of the experience that helped you understand yourself better and that you learned from or that you'll apply, like, going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that it was like confirmation of a belief and thing, something that I've heard is that that people want to help, mm. you know, and I didn't, I wasn't, it was a slightly fangirl thing, but it was a small thank you card. It wasn't like a big suck up kind of thing. It was just pure admiration. One thing that Stuart told me, well, and you might learn new information. I guess that's one thing is like actually reaching out, talking to someone, get new information. Um, he said, yeah, we, I said, you know, I just like the design of your books and the weight and feel. And I really admire Shambhala Press and the fact that their books are su sustainable. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, we were intentional on how we designed them. We made the font larger for uh, middle-aged people, baby boomers. That was his target audience at that point. And as someone who is uh, new to bifocals in the past couple <laughs> years and just hit the big 5-0 in January, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> Keeping that in the back of my mind mm -hmm. on who my target audience is and how I will design the books to be accessible for the most peeps. Excellent. <laughs> well, I mean, I I think we all have had that moment where, you know, maybe you're with your friends, maybe it's a stranger, maybe it is someone you admire, and you just need that push to go say something to mm -hmm. them. I know I've done that. Similar story, actually, with Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, I wrote her a letter. Same oh, cool. thinking. I was like, I'm mm -hmm. going to handwrite her a letter. Mm -hmm. And um, I sent that to her. But that was actually right before all of the drama happened with her. And oh. I was like, oh, she's never, ever, ever going to read this. And the same thing happened to me with one of my fam uh, famous, one of my favorite 
um, musicians, artist John Baptiste. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you listen to him, but I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Hello, John. <laughs> and um, I just messaged him on Instagram, which is mm-hmm. another brilliant way that mm-hmm. you can really access people. And I messaged him um, over the summer right before, like only a week or two before he just won all the awards. He won oh, like yeah. Oscars, he won Grammys, he won a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. all at once and just skyrocketed. And so I was really happy for him, but I was like, man, he's never going to read that now. <laughs> like, I stood a chance before he might have looked at Instagram every now and then, but now he's not. And or someone else is going to be looking at it for him. <laughs> so, yeah, there's always those the shots that you take. And what matters so much is that you take them because you don't know when they're going to hit or land or stick <laughs> like the right. spaghetti on the wall. So it's always best to go for it. Mm-hmm. Well, so one last uh, question, just from when we talked before, <clears throat> you talked a little bit about, um, I think it was in the time, like you sent the letter to, um, I'm spacing his name, I'm so sorry. Um, Stuart Matlin. Yeah, uh-huh. Stuart Matlin. You sent him the, the note and, you know, there's the pandemic, there's the in-between time after there's some like kind of miscommunication was that also when you were diagnosed with adhd oh my gosh because i when we first talked i felt like that was part of oh yeah that was probably part of it see yeah so yeah so i'm working at home in the pandemic um went home late march 2020 i kind of hung out for a minute I was sitting, you know, at the library. A couple of the librarians had already gone home to work, and I'm sitting there, and then I went home, and I worked at home in my living room. I was talking to one of my students, which um, I guess one chutzpahrific humility kind of thing that I've read about is having mentors who are younger than you and allowing younger people to mentor you versus you just doing all the mentoring or you just seeking a mentor. And I was talking to my friend about how I just felt like I was still distracted, even though I was at home relatively by myself. I mean, my husband was home, but and the cats, (laughs) but like, you know, relatively at home by myself and still just not being able to keep everything organized and get through my day and all that. And I just always thought people were interrupting me at work all the time Mm -hmm. and what I realized was I was interrupting myself so that was the September 2020 and then um I thought about it I read about it I asked my parents about it and they're like oh no that doesn't sound like you and then I I asked John about it and he's like "Hmm, maybe (laughs) and (laughs) he didn't want to judge at that point (laughs) or call me out and so Finally, I was I was doing a kind of chutzpahrific thing at work. My library director had retired, mm. had announced he was going to retire, and in February twenty twenty one, my colleague and I both applied to be the interim library director. And in the middle, you know, in the middle of my job interview, I was talking about how you know I love the library, and I just had a lot of things on my plate. And I just kept putting more and more things on my plate and occasionally some things like slid off my plate. But if they slid off my plate, just like tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, Mel, I need that thing. And then 
at the end of the interview, after the interview, I realized that was probably not the smartest thing to say <laughs> for someone who wants to be like the director is that I've got too much on my plate that it's sliding right. off of my plate. And so then I like had this like come to Jesus moment. That's mm-hmm. what I, you know, what we say colloquial around here Yeah. Um, of why do I have so many things on my plate? Like one, I'm ridiculously curious and very open. And so I get excited about lots and lots of things. And so it all just kind of piles up and I'd thrown a lot of spaghetti at the wall. And unfortunately, fortunately, fortunately, (laughs) a lot of it stuck. And then I was like in the middle of three grant projects and 20 some odd research projects and just reflecting on all of this. And then I'm like, I, I have ADHD, you know? And so I called a coach uh, in Cincinnati, whom I've never met in person. We just talk on the phone. And I made an appointment with a doctor and, um, yeah, thought I have ADHD. And it was, I had this overwhelming sense of um, too much, too much that I'd started and not feeling accomplished fully. And she said, you know, you can try to, we can try to just get you know, do things and I'll coach you for a few months and you don't have to necessarily try medication, which seemed very scary to me. And when my friend had asked me, do you have it? Do you think you have ADHD? I'm like, I have two master's degrees. Like, (laughs) what do you mean? Like, I've had a job, steady job, blah, 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 blah. Like, it just didn't all click. Mm -hmm. And um, what I learned was women and especially girls, it goes undiagnosed. And the The flavor of ADHD that I have is not the necessarily running around. I I was an elementary school librarian for a year, and I had this little toe-headed little boy, little blonde boy, like, and he, every time he came to the library, it was like he just ran laps and laps and laps (laughs) around my library, and I was like, oh my goodness. And then one day, all of his classmates were at the tables to do our library activity for the day, and I couldn't find the kid. And I'm like, where is my toe-headed one? Where is he? (laughs) And like, I was looking around. I looked up, and he was up at the top of my story steps, laying on his back, and he had like the biggest, fattest book. I don't know if it was a Harry Potter book at that Mm -hmm. point or what, and he was like totally still, totally engrossed in reading this book. And I am so grateful I have that memory because what I've learned about ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, is that it's really a misnomer. And one of the doctors I read, Dr. Ned Hollowell, ADHD 2.0, he said it should be called VAST, Variable Attention Stimulus Trait. Because that kid was totally hyper-focused and engrossed in that book because that's what gave him joy at that moment to use mm-hmm. Marie Kondo's, <laughs> you know. And and I can get that way as well. Like mm-hmm. as a kid, I could lay in bed all day, read a book, get up to pee and uh, eat, yeah. you know, and lay in bed for <laughs> 12, 16 hours. No problem. No problem. Hyper-focus. And... Um, So the flavor of ADHD that I probably have is more a combined type or more of an internalized kind of type where my mind is just a lot more active. And and so accepting that, and then in late July, I started medication, and then that was really different too. And um, 
just accepting a lot of things that had been problematic for me as far as uh, emotions of being really um, crying easily or getting angry real easily. Um, so, like, I asked John, okay, one month into the meds, I'm going to go talk to my doctor today. What do you want me to tell? And he's like, well, you're not crying, you know, over your family all the time and you're not. I'm not in trouble as much. I wasn't, <laughs> basically, I wasn't on his case as much. Mm -hmm. And so that made me feel like I was on the right path with that, which um, I had never taken any medication for my brain before. Um, and so this was, was new. And so um, I'm grateful for all of the people that got me there. And I am um, apologize to all the people I drove <laughs> nuts along the way. Um, not that I'm not still driving people. Nuts. No, I just I, I asked you that because I think that it's a very, very inspiring story. Maybe that's selfish because like I've kind of been down a similar mm -hmm. path and been like, mm -hmm. do I have this like issue? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, kind of concluded nah, like, I don't think you do, but maybe you do. And you can like look into it and just mm -hmm. hearing the fact that you do have like a relatively well-rounded full story of it now. You know, you've kind of come to some conclusions at least. Um, I think it's very inspiring and especially the fact that like medicine did work for you because I know I'm terrified of it, mm -hmm. but I know I have no like I kind of need to get over that sometimes and it can be something that works for you. And so I wanted if if you're comfortable, I want people to be able to know. Yeah, that I this mean, is how how it can happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very comfortable about that. I just, you know, I, you know, I won't say that I like immediately got officially diagnosed and then it was like oh yes now my now the whole life is in order and that makes all my life no you have to do this kind of reckoning mm -hmm. of and reflection and grief is what they talk about a lot is because when i met with my doctor you know we talked about i said yeah i thought i would be a doctor or I could never make up my mind if I wanted to get a PhD because I'm curious about everything. And so I just didn't go get a PhD. And I also don't like grading papers, so I didn't want to do that. But um, <laughs> so there's other factors. And I'm probably an entrepreneur at heart anyway. But I also want people to know that it's often not diagnosed in women and girls. I also want people to know, like, if you're a bright person and, like, we can comp you know, you can overcompensate if you're a creative or bright person because um, people are like, oh, like exactly like I said to my friend, I have two master's degrees. Right. You're, <laughs> you like have a mortgage and you pretty much pay your bills on time. Not, mm -hmm. Don't ask about my library fees around the community. <laughs> That's a, I, I say that like late library fees are like my way to give a donation to my public <laughs> libraries. That's my rationale. I can rationalize anything. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so just you might be twice exceptional, that's what they call it, 2E. Um, if you've got ADHD and you're, I'm putting quote unquote air quotes, gifted, you know, I was a nerd in honors classes mm -hmm. and. I'm pushing. I'm pushing up my yep. glasses that aren't on my nose right now. I I, I also push up my metaphorical glasses in the in the, <laughs> in the um, chess club and worked in the library. We had math club too. I was, was on the one. math team. Yeah. I went to math camp. You know, 
So, um, and if you're a girl and you're socially conditioned to be a nice, quiet person, mm-hmm. then you're not disrupting the class and running laps around the library, then it might right. get overlooked. But if you have a bunch of, like, fourth grade, this mm-hmm. is kind of a traumatic moment that I've had to work through, but it was traumatic before, but now that I'm like, oh. <laughs> Makes sense now. That's what was happening when I was 10 years old, and I lost all of my social studies assignments, and I was Ooh. failing social studies. And my had the parent-teacher conference with my teacher and my parents, and they had me dump out my messy desk on the floor and i like unrolled the crumpled half sheets of social studies quizzes that i had completed and gotten a's on but i did not turn in with my folder because executive functioning (laughs) organizational skills are one of our challenges (laughs) we're those of us with neurodivergent brains so learning the word neurodivergent is Mm -hmm. very empowering yes being able to tell other people And say it out loud to my students and my colleagues at work, which I didn't do the first three months. That's the thing is that there was this reckoning. I think that's being a cosporific because you want to share. I want to, like I said, I want to empower others to their highest level of self-sufficiency. And so I want to make it more normal that people can um, talk about having different brains. And also I want to make it more normal. For people to go get help, go see helpers. That's what I call mm-hmm. it. Going to talk to people to work through issues of grief, of figuring out, oh, I had ADHD and I'm 49 years old and that's why I didn't go to medical school. <laughs> you know, the road's not taken. Robert Frost kind of path. So, but also acceptance of, but I've done other things that were pretty cool yep. with this interesting brain that uh Ima Abba Elohim gave me. <laughs> if you are like me and want to know more about your mental health and find new ways to better take care of your lovely brain, um please keep in mind that there are fantastic resources available to us now, things like BetterHelp, not a sponsor, but I've heard really great things. I am fortunate enough that I have been able to find mental health services here in Louisville. Um, so you can always consult your doctor as a starting point. Tell them what issues you're having, what you'd like to learn more about, and they can always get you connected with a mental health service provider. So please, please, if you have questions, if you've been wondering, maybe you've been putting it off, there are resources available to you. So that could be better help, that could be talking to your doctor, that could be starting with a friend and seeing if they can help you. That could be calling your insurance company. I know that some of those things are not always fun, but I know from personal experience that learning more about my mental health and what I need to do to best take care of myself is one of the most important things I've ever done and is one of the only reasons why I'm talking to you right now. So please be brave. You can do it. And I hope you can find the best resource for you. (laughs) Well, I think it's beautiful. And so we are getting to wrap up here um but i'll just conclude with uh what did we learn here today i think we learned a whole lot arguably most important if you're gonna write a note to somebody (laughs) that you haven't met go ahead and doodle an angel on there (laughs) because i think that might seal the deal for you but no realistically most importantly if you think you have a neurodivergent brain 
go ahead and ask somebody. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to be ashamed of, and it's something to to learn more about so that you can be the best you possible. Because that's all that Melanie wants, or that I want for you as well. <laughs> so, um, everyone, please take please take care of yourselves, um, and don't forget that our theme music is from a group called Crow Wonder, and the song is called Humbug. I am Bridget Bard. Shalom. <laughs>